There are several passages in the Bible that emphasize that Jesus Christ is the head of the church. That Jesus Christ and His church, the church of Christ, are connected because He is the one who has founded the church and He is the one who is the head of the church. Over in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18, after Peter making the confession that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, uh, Jesus says, Upon this rock I will build my church. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 28, Paul says that Jesus Christ purchased the church with his own blood. Over in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, it's pointed out by Paul that Jesus Christ is the head of the body, which is his church. Also emphasized in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 18, that Jesus Christ is the, is the head of the church, which is his body. I think I flipped those two passages. But the point is that the church is his body, and that he is the head of that body, and he is the head of that church. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25 has pointed out that Jesus Christ gave himself for the church. Over in Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 9, Paul decrees that God has decreed that Jesus Christ is Lord of all, that at the name of Jesus Christ every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that he is indeed Lord. Those passages point out without a doubt that Jesus Christ is the head of the church. But this morning we're going to go and look at a passage that we oftentimes don't think too much about when we think about the authority of Jesus Christ. In fact, normally when we have this particular passage brought up, we start thinking about evangelism. We start thinking about our obligation that we're supposed to take the gospel to the world. But in this passage, we have laid down for us one of the most clear and understandable passages that deal with the fact that Jesus Christ is the final authority of the church of Christ and what the implications are as you look at this. Now, I want you to understand and appreciate the fact that the words that we're going to be looking at this morning are words that were spoken by Jesus Christ right before he ascended up to his Father. These are some of the last words that Jesus spoke to his apostles before he ascended up to his Father and take his position at the right hand of God. These are, in fact, the final words of the, of the last verses of the last chapter of the book of Matthew. As I think about that, I think about these are the parting words that Jesus left, not only with his apostles, but with us. And I believe because of that, not that any place in the Bible has less importance, but I do think we need to put emphasis upon this because of what Jesus is saying. Now, once again, what we're going to be seeing in this passage, it's not just a plea to go out and evangelize the world. But what we're actually going to see is how that in this passage, you find the building blocks of the church all based upon the foundation, which is Jesus Christ. 
So I invite you, if you will, we'll have it up on the screen, but if you want it in your Bibles, so maybe you can make some notes in the margin, I invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 28, and we're going to be looking at verses 18 through 20 this morning and see what we can learn. Here we have before us this morning a very, very powerful church that explains the very basis for what we call the church of Christ. So as we start looking at this passage, we get to verse 18, and the very first thing that we notice is, Jesus says, All authority has been given unto me in heaven and earth. Notice very clearly the words I have highlighted. All authority, whether it be here in this earth or whether it be in heaven. And the obvious conclusion that we can gather from that is simply this. The absolute authority of Christ is the foundational principle of the church. Every single thing that this church is based upon, every single thing that you read about in the New Testament is based on this bedrock principle that Jesus Christ is the final authority when it comes to the church. Those those of you who are members of this congregation, understand and appreciate the fact that our plea is to take the Bible and the Bible alone that we do as far as anything in faith and practice. And the reason for this is because we believe in the absolute authority of Jesus Christ when it comes to His church. Now you would think that all religious people who proclaim to be Christians would want the same thing. But yet, as you look at the religious world today, you discover that his authority has been usurped by popes. His authority has been usurped by conventions. His authority has been usurped by councils. But yet, we understand and appreciate the fact that Jesus Christ has the final authority. He is the only one that we need to listen to this morning when it comes to his church. If you ask us this morning why we believe that we need to have a book, chapter, and verse for everything that we do in faith and practice, it's because we believe in the absolute authority of Jesus Christ. If you ask why we have no conventions, no councils, no ruling bodies outside the local church, it's because we believe in the absolute authority of Jesus Christ. If you ask why we have no creed book, no Church of Christ creed book, or no book of prayer, or no book of order, or no catechism, or church manual, It's because we believe in the absolute authority of Jesus Christ. If you ask why we insist on baptism for the remission of sins, why we insist on acapella music, why we insist on taking the Lord's Supper every Sunday, it's because we believe in the absolute authority of Jesus Christ. Folks, right here in this passage, Jesus says, here is the bedrock principle of what his entire church is going to be based upon. And that is, all authority has been given unto me in heaven and in earth. But as we go through the passage, notice what he says next. He says, go ye therefore and teach all nations. Notice I have put the emphasis on all nations. 
And here's the reason for that. The only thing that Christ has given us authority to preach is the gospel because it alone has the power to save. Now, Jesus uses this phrase, all nations, to make sure we understand and appreciate the fact that this is something that applies to everyone. There's no exception to the rule. The thing that Jesus tells them to go and teach applies to everybody. Every single person needs to hear this message because every single person is going to be judged by this message. Now, there are those in the denominational world today who uh, believe in something called Calvinism. Almost all of your mainline denominations uh, base their theology upon some writings that John uh, Calvin wrote many years ago. And in that particular theory of Calvinism or doctrine of Calvinism is the idea that God had already, before the world ever began, predetermined that there would be a certain group of people saved and a certain people that would be lost. Those who were saved were going to be saved no matter what. And those who were going to be lost were going to be lost no matter what. You can't do anything about it. If you're going to be one who has been predestined to be saved... God's going to get you by his irresistible grace. And once he's got you by that irresistible grace, you can't fall from that grace because it's already been decided. And regardless of who you are, regardless of how much you prayed, regardless of how much you pleaded, regardless of the life you did, regardless of how you obeyed God, if you were one of the lost, you were going to be lost. But this very passage right here discounts that idea. The good news of the gospel is that mankind has the free will to obey it or not to obey it. Mankind and each and every man's heart can make the decision of whether or not they're going to obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. But Christ wants to make sure that everyone has that opportunity to to obey. Therefore, he says you need to go and teach all nations. There's no exception to this rule. Every single person is amenable to the gospel and needs to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And also this morning, we don't need to change the gospel to change, for changing times or need to change the gospel as far as in, different individuals are concerned. One of the things that's so prevalent in the religious world today when it comes to uh, what they call the gospel is the sinner's prayer. The Bible is silent when it comes to the sinner's prayer. There's no, made, no mention made of the sinner's prayer anywhere in God's Word. There's no example of what kind of prayer you should say as far as the sinner's prayer is concerned. And there's no example of anyone praying the sinner's prayer as far as the Bible is concerned. But we need to understand and think about the fact predicated and based upon the foundational principle that Jesus Christ is the final authority, he tells us that we should teach all nations because the gospel is for all. And before we go any further this morning, I want you to understand that the all nations includes you. So if you're here today and you're not a Christian, the things I'm going to be talking about next apply to you because you are a part of what Jesus said with his final authority when he says that the gospel is for all nations. But notice what he does say next. 
He says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The only plan that Christ has authorized includes baptism in the plan of salvation. I want you to notice very carefully what's happening here. Notice how these blocks are starting to build upon one another. You start with the bedrock foundation that Jesus Christ has the final authority. In other words, you need to listen to what he says and you need to do what he says. And notice what he says. He says, first of all, here is something that you need to go and tell everybody. There's no exception to this rule. This is something that applies to each and every person on the face of the earth. And what is included in this thing that you're going to be teaching everybody? He says that you need to tell them, evidently because of what their response will be, that they're going to be baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Now, sometimes people ask, why do you put so much emphasis on baptism when it seems like the rest of the religious world doesn't? Well, folks, the reason why is found right here in this passage. Jesus Christ, based upon his absolute authority, told us to go teach all nations, applies to everyone. And a part of that teaching resulted in the baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. But notice even right here in the passage, notice it says baptizing them in the name of. Now we see that so many times in the passage that we kind of overlook it and don't realize what he's saying there. He's not just saying give them, uh, say this when you baptize them, this is some kind of saying that you say. But rather he's emphasizing two things. Once again, there's the idea of the authority. You're baptizing them by the authority of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Uh, We think of something being in the name of, we think of the authority. You've heard me say this before from this pulpit. We used to hear on television years ago when I was growing up, if somebody was running away from a policeman, they oftentimes would say, stop in the name of the law. What was he saying? Stop because of the authority that's been given unto me as a policeman to stop you and arrest you. It's about authority. But also with the idea of in the name of is the idea of the changing of ownership. If you were to sell me a car this morning, we would have a title, and in that title, there would be a changing of names. It will go from your name to my name to signify there's now been a change of ownership. In the name of means a change of ownership. And when a person becomes a Christian, when a person is baptized, there's a change of ownership. You go from being owned by yourself to being owned by the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's interesting, three of the gospel accounts gives us the words that Jesus spoke before he left this earth. And in those words he spoke, he gave a commission to his apostles. We, of course, have Matthew's account here uh, on the board. In Matthew chapter 28, beginning at verse 18. But if you turn to Mark's account as his book comes to a conclusion... In Mark 15, 
or Mark 16, verses 15 and 16, when he says, go and preach the gospel to all the world. And he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, and he that believeth not shall be damned. Luke, we oftentimes don't think about him having a commission, but he does. Over in Luke chapter 24 and verse 47, he tells his apostles that repentance and remissions of sin, remission of sins will begin in Jerusalem and then go out to the other most parts of the world. And so as you take what Jesus said here, and you take what Mark records for us in Mark 16, and you take what Luke records for us in Luke 24, and you end up in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, and you have Peter preaching that very first gospel sermon. In verse 36, he says, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made this same Jesus whom ye crucified, both Lord and Christ. The text says, when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Now, what was Peter's answer to that? What had he been told on three different occasions to tell them what to do? Three different passages. He told them in verse 38 to repent and be baptized in the name of the Lord for the remission of sins. Notice how all three of those passages come together. Jesus told to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Notice that he told him to be baptized, he that believeth. Notice that there was repentance in Luke's account, verse 24, and it resulted in the remission of sins. They believed because they said Peter to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter finished the commission by saying, you need to repent, from Luke 24, and be baptized, from Mark 16, 16, and Matthew chapter 28 and verse 19, for the remission of sins coming back full circle to Luke 24 and verse 47. Folks, the reason why we believe that baptism is necessary for the remission of sins is because Jesus Christ said it, and Jesus Christ is the final authority in the church. But notice what else happens as you start looking at a passage that we think is just about evangelism. Oh, evangelism is is there But the meat in this passage is amazing. Notice what he says next. He says, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Christ has authorized a pattern for the church, and it is the teaching of the apostles. Now notice what we have going on here. Jesus begins this section by saying, I'm the final authority. And I want you to go out and I want you to teach something to everybody that will listen. And after you teach this person, you're going to baptize that person in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Holy Spirit. And after you have baptized this person, that's not the end of it. There's going to be some other things that I want you to teach. But notice as you look very carefully at this passage, what happens and what it develops. The key part of this particular phrase is this idea of things. 
teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Notice, he says, all things. There are some things, and it's all-encompassing, so we need to ask ourselves, what are these things? Well, as you start breaking down this section of Scripture, I want you to notice something. I want you to notice the things that he is talking about are the things that he has commanded. The all things here are the things that Jesus Christ commanded while he was on this earth. And notice what he says. This commission is about evangelism, but it's also about the pattern that he has now set forth for these converts that have been baptized, that's a part of all nations, that's predicated upon the authority of Jesus Christ. Notice what happens in his church. He says the apostles are supposed to be teaching them to observe these all things that Jesus has commanded. The apostles were not only commissioned to go out into the world to reach the lost, but they were also commissioned to go and teach the saved. They were going to lay down the pattern. But notice what else happens in the passage. We who have been baptized now have the responsibility to observe the things that the apostles taught that Jesus now has commanded. And so what you have in this passage now is an apostolic line of authority. There are things that Jesus Christ commanded. There are teachings that the apostles will give us. And we have not only the Gospels, we have the book of Acts, we have the epistles, we have the book of Revelation, the teaching of the apostles, and we have the responsibility as Christians to observe those. Here we have laid down for us the blueprint or the pattern of what the church is about, what the church is built on, how the church works. The passage begins with Jesus saying, All authority is given unto me in heaven and earth. And he gets to this section, he says, I want you to take the commands that I have given you while I'm in your presence And I want you to take those commands and I've given you the commission to teach those commands so that my people, Christians, my church will observe those commands. There is the apostolic line of authority. The reason why we just don't go by what we might call the red letter parts of the gospel where Jesus speaks. But we need to understand and appreciate the fact that when the Apostle Peter gives us command, it's a command from Jesus Christ because he is teaching that command as he has been commissioned by Jesus Christ. When the Apostle Paul gives us a command as we read in his epistles, he is giving us that command because he has been commissioned by Jesus Christ to teach us that command. And also notice the responsibility that each and every one of us have. As we hear the commands, as being taught by the apostles, we have an obligation to observe those commands. The reason why we observe the Lord's Supper each and every Lord's Day is not because of the fact that we kind of like having this each and every Lord's Day, but we know that when Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, instituted the Lord's Supper, and he said, do this in remembrance of me. And he didn't tell us when, he didn't tell us uh, uh, some of the other aspects of it. 
But when we get to the epistles and we have the teaching of the apostles, we understand by example and by teaching that this is something that we observe on the first day of the week and we do this every first day of the week. The reason why we don't have instruments of music in our worship service, it all boils down because of the apostolic pattern. When the apostles tell us to sing, that we understand that means to sing. When we think about God's plan of salvation, we teach what God says about God's plan of salvation because of the apostolic authority. The reason why we follow this apostolic line of authority is because Jesus said there are commands, they're to be taught, and we're to observe it. And it's all predicated upon that foundational principle that Jesus begins with when he says, All authority has been given unto me in heaven and in earth. But I want you to notice how uh, this is even carried over in this particular passage here in Matthew chapter 18. In Matthew chapter 16, people make a big deal about the fact that after Jesus in verse 18 says that upon this rock I will build my church, and then he goes on, and it looks like he's speaking to Peter, and he says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom, and whatsoever you shall bound on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever shall be loosed on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And people say that gives Peter some kind of of, of special authority. But you've got to understand just two chapters later, Jesus is talking to all the apostles, and notice what he says. He says, Verily I say unto you, Whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say unto you, that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Jesus is dealing with church doctrine here in this passage. It begins with the discussion about how to deal with someone who has wronged you in the church. But Peter goes on and talking to his, or Jesus going on and talking to his apostles in verse 18. He tells them that they will have the authority that has been given unto them to bind things and to loose things. In fact, when two apostles get together, then that will be decided in heaven because they have the authority through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and the command of Jesus Christ that this will be something that will be binding. And then you get to verse 20, which is one of the most misunderstood passages that we've ever seen oftentimes in the church. So many times I hear people make this particular verse apply to the worship service, even though there's no worship being talked about here, not in the context is worship being talked about here. I believe in my heart that Jesus is always with me. I don't have to have somebody else with me. But what he's being talked about here in verse 20 is the fact of the authority of the apostles and the authority that had been given them here on this earth. When Jesus says, I want you to teach them to observe all things that I have commanded you, that's what this passage is about. It's about the apostolic authority that Jesus Christ has given them, the pattern or the blueprint of the church. Our time is running out, so let's look at the very last thing that Jesus says. He says, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. You look at that passage and you're saying, maybe in your mind you're saying, well, Jesus is just being sweet here. He, he, He wants to Make sure they understand and appreciate the fact he's not going to leave them. He'll be, he'll be with them even though he's not here on this earth. He'll be with them in spirit. 
Folks, that sentiment may be there, but that's not what this is about. This is talking about and what started in verse 18 and is now finalized in this particular passage here. Because what's being talked about here is Christ's authority as the head of the church will last until the end of the world, and therefore his plan will never change. It will never change. When Jesus says, I am with you always until the end of the world, that is coming full circle to what he says in verse 18. All authority has been given unto me in heaven and earth. And with that authority, you need to go teach all nations. You need to baptize them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And you, apostles, will lay down the pattern for this church that's going to be created because you baptized all nations. And this blueprint, this pattern, and my authority will last until the end of the world. In other words, as long as this age is here, as some translate this particular verse, as long as this world is here, as long as this earth stands, the authority of Jesus Christ is going to stand. Jesus Christ's authority does not end. In fact, there's an interesting passage over in Hebrews chapter 13, beginning at verse 5. And I want to emphasize some things out of this passage. Once again, uh, we kind of miss what perhaps is being talked about here. In fact, this may be somewhat of a commentary on what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28, beginning at verse 18. I want you to notice it says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. The writer of Hebrews, as he often does, is quoting from the Old Testament. But the emphasis is that Jesus Christ is always going to be with us. He's never going to leave us. He's never going to forsake us. And once again, from a sentimental value, you may think, well, that's, a, that's nice that Jesus is always with us. He's never going to leave us. But once again, folks, there's something more going on here. Because as you start looking at the text, notice what else he says. In connection to this, he says, Remember them that have the rule over you. Talking about the apostles. And the reason why I believe he's talking about the apostles, because they are the ones who have spoken unto us the word of God. And they are the ones whose faith we're supposed to follow. And they are the ones that we're supposed to consider. The King James Version has, has, has um, con- uh, conversation, but literally it's his life. Think about how they ended their life. Now notice what's happening here. He says, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. Remember them which have the rule over you, who have told you the word of God, whose faith you are now following. And think about how they died a martyr's death to proclaim this faith. And then it says these words, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. Christ is unchanging because now his authority is unchanging And the thing that these people who had the rule over us told us about and whose faith we follow and we think about how they died a martyr's death, his plan and his rule will last until this world ends. In fact, I don't think it's by accident that in the very next verse it says this, be not carried away with divers and strange doctrines. You see... The authority of Jesus Christ that he sets forth in verse 18 is an authority that's going to last to the end of this world. 
In fact, this morning as we close, we could put it like this. If you believe in Jesus Christ, then you certainly believe in His great commission that He gave in Matthew chapter 28. And if you believe in the great commission, that means this morning that you believe in the final authority of Jesus Christ as the head of the church. And if you believe in the final authority of Jesus Christ as the head of the church, you understand and appreciate the fact that the gospel plan is the only plan. And you also, if you believe in the final authority of Jesus Christ, and you believe that the gospel plan is the only plan that will save all nations, then you believe that this plan must include baptism because it's right there in the plan, in the commission, that's supposed to go to all nations. And why? Why do you believe this? Why is this so important? Because of the fact, if Jesus is indeed the head of the church, then he has given us a pattern to follow when it comes to his church and salvation taught by his apostles, and it will be in force until the end of this world. This morning, as we extend the gospel invitation, if you're here and you're not a Christian, we have told you enough about the gospel plan of salvation this morning to let you know what you need to do in order to be saved. We're not going to ask you to do anything other than what Jesus has authorized. We're not going to ask you to do anything other than Jesus has commanded. We're not going to ask you to do anything other than what the apostles taught, and we're not asking you to do anything other than what the New Testament Christians did when they heard that old Jerusalem gospel. So the same words that Ananias told Paul when he was then called Saul when he wanted to be saved, Acts 22 and verse 16, And now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized, and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Won't you come, as together we stand and sing.